Today, we're going to talk about Stacey Abrams' strategy of losing well, how she's doing it to perfection and what it might lead to. And we're going to talk about the plan by some on the left to break the Constitution using compulsory voting. You're listening to the Propaganda Report. I'm Brad Binkley here with Monica Perez. Monica, how you doing? I'm good. I am uh, I am preparing for a trip to New Jersey to Atlantic City for my mother's 90th birthday party, which I knew she would only come to if it was in a casino. Wow, that sounds like it's going to be fun. <laughs> it's going to be fun. Do she you have any funerals. strippers or anything? <laughs> no, she had funeral cards made up with it for it with like prayers on it. And she said, <laughs> she said, you know, no dates or anything. I figured give it to them with a the warm hand. They can pray for me while I'm still alive. <laughs> so she really captured the spirit of a 90th birthday party, yeah, you know, because you're right. really just like, let's do it now rather than wait. That's so, hilarious. Yeah. So I'm a little busy. Uh, but I also wanted to comment on something that was in the news today, all over the news today, and I'm sure it will be tomorrow and all that. Uh, this shooting in Thousand Oaks, California. I just want to say two things, then we can move on because we've got a lot of stuff and not a lot of time. You ready? I'm ready. Okay. Uh, a, I would like to know if at this point it is illegal or gets you banned from absolutely every possible internet outlet. If anyone were to suggest that these things are all not what they appear to be. I don't know if anyone's allowed to talk about that anymore. I don't think you're even allowed to question the official story, despite the fact that the official story changes all the time. Changes, yes. You're not and allowed yes, to question it until after it's changed. I actually pointed out, I was, I mean, I noticed it within 24 hours that on Valentine's Day 2018, the Parkland shooting in Florida was the day the internet died. I called it. I called you it really that did. day. I, yeah. I have to admit, I was skeptical, but it has become. A lot harder to find information that is not mainstream on the internet. And if you put anything out that not even making a claim, but questioning, you are liable to get buried or removed. Yeah, we've seen that. Actually, I had only seen it as a user that day, and I knew it was a dramatic change that day. But now I see as a producer, as a contributor, and funny enough, my first experience with that at being um, blatantly censored for something I did not do uh, was when they said we were bullying Sheriff Israel and they took that, they gave me a strike on YouTube and took that video down. That was unbelievable because shortly it's after still that- down. I protested it. Yeah. Yeah. And shortly after that, the mainstream narrative on him yes. changed when Jake yes. Tapper, the, his interview spread around. And then suddenly what you had said previously became what the mainstream believed. Yes. Still, they took it down. And I, no, I was telling the truth, though. Like, I was saying facts. It wasn't even opinion. Right. Yeah. But they didn't want to see, they didn't want that opinion out at that point in time. Right. That so it was inconvenient. But, you know, later on, had we done that show two weeks later, we, we probably would have been okay. Yeah. Well, that was, that was the day. And since then, it seems to me you absolutely can't say anything to question those uh, events or the narrative or the lesson or anything like that without being penalized. Let's not get into all that because we've, we've penalized much more severely since then, losing WordPress and all that, Ugh, which continues to be a nightmare, continues to be a damn nightmare, I can tell you. But anyway, <laughs> uh, but here's something that was very interesting to me. I'm, we're still on Twitter, which is awesome. And Gab, I guess Gab is for real because they're fighting back. 
Yeah, they're back uh, online now. Yeah, too. so we might have to move over to that. But uh, we still have Twitter, and I got a, a DM from uh, Pliskin, and uh, the name is Pliskin, who mentioned to me something that really uh, was so simple but sublime, and it opened a whole door way for me to understand these issues. When I was listening to the stuff about the Thousand Oaks shooting, uh, immediately all over the news, all over, all over, all over, is uh, he had PTSD. Uh, somebody called on him. Uh, mental health authorities had been notified. The authorities had been notified. He had been spoken to, but nobody took action. Nobody took him in, blah, blah. Obviously, they're setting the groundwork, just like in Parkland, for the slightest accusation to be a grounds for incarceration. And you don't have to be a criminal. You just have to be off center or just reported as off center and you lose your rights. And they don't call it as, as you lose your rights because you committed a crime. You lose lost your rights because you're incompetent, can't be trusted. We are preemptively incarcerating you. And of course that's a slippery slope to where they incarcerate you for the uh, infliction of emotional distress for doing something like questioning the official narrative of, of an event like this. But or what, video games. That's also something that's going to come into play with virtual what? reality video games. Oh, is that you? Ha- if you do something wrong in the virtual space, you get incarcerated in the physical space. Or even if you just get uh, uh, exiled in the virtual space, it can really impact your ability to contribute uh, or to earn a living. But what this guy with Pliskin turned me on to, I had never heard of this guy. His name was uh, Thomas Zaz, S-Z-A-S-Z. He's a Hungarian-American psychiatrist and professor of psychiatry, w- widely celebrated. He says stuff about mental illness not being a real disease, and that has its critics, his like very radical statement on that, which was over 50 years ago. But I'm not going to get into that. But but he points out two things that are worth getting into. Not right now, but like I'm recommending for people to investigate this. One is just on its face. He's correct. The loss of liberty of any rights. I don't know if he said this, but I'm going to say gun rights or um, right to actual liberty. So if they're going to put you in jail or take your gun, guns away or take away any of your rights or liberties based on mental uh, an accusation of mental incompetence, you should have a jury of your peers. That should be the only way you lose your rights. I actually am totally opposed to plea bargains of any kind also. Uh, but it's just a genius thought to a correct one to that the that the state should never be in a position to take away a person's rights uh unilaterally that it, it absolutely must be a jury of peers i think that's a great idea and then the other thing he warned against was when well, brought out uh that he calls it the therapeutic state it like it's the next gen of the nanny state the nanny state would tell you what to do the therapeutics and that was harsh discipline nanny but the therapeutic state tells you what to do and what to think and how to feel. And they act like it's nice, but it's not nice. It's in your brain. Yeah. And he and he likens it to the way it was once illegal to be a heretic. Now it's illegal to be, uh, quote, mentally ill, which he doesn't give credence to. Or well, overweight or a big or any was called mentally ill the other day because he was saying things. That they didn't want him to say. Yeah, Don Lemon wanted an intervention. 
get him off the stage, get him out. And we listened to what he said. And even if it is crazy, which it was not, you can't, you, uh, it's about, uh, controlling every aspect of society. And it's where, so this is why Pete, where people on the right, the kind of conservative Republicans lose me because they will say, you have no right to take away my God-given right to self-defense. But they will also say, I have the right to take away your ability to use drugs because your behavior has an impact on society. And and that was the same argument as morality and religion as being merged with the state in order to control uh, society and behavior by corralling or or by trimming off the individuals who disrupted the theme that the power wanted to, you know, the social tone imposed from the top. So I just, my point is not to cover this or explain it or anything, is just to direct people, even just to start with the Wikipedia entry of Thomas Zaz and look uh, into what he was saying about the, quote, therapeutic state and to think about uh, how our freedoms, our liberties should never be uh, encroached upon without a jury trial, jury of peers. I love it. Good stuff, right? Right. And there would have to be a jury of peers who have not been exposed to the media, which has, well, you know, which is, which does the work of the, the therapeutic state. I, yeah, I, yes, the people are brainwashed. I am a a proponent of a fairly narrow definition of peers. Maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe I haven't thought it through, but I would think your peers have to be people in your circumstance, but you're right. If once, if you, if what you're saying is true, if media and propaganda can actually saturate the psyche and the soul and the sense of reason, if it can actually saturate it to where we are incapacitated as civil actors, then... Brave new world. Yeah, you just can't have... Then a jury trial doesn't matter and democracy doesn't matter. And I'm not saying it does matter. I'm not saying we aren't past that point. But but if we if reason and free will and an understanding between the difference of good and evil is not something that we uh really truly are are not inalienable then yes i mean it it's it, it is possible but of course that's when you get to where democracy and all the trappings of democracy are really just the opiate of the masses it's really just the way to get people to think that they're buying in that there is justice uh so yes the jury of the peers is um is a concept of mob rule but if it's unanimous you know what i'm saying if it's unanimous at least you have a fighting chance, at least until the people are as brainwashed. See, the last thing I'll say is the hope there is that that your everyday person is not in a position to gain from, from the incarceration, from the mind control and all that. Yes, they might be brainwashed and go along, which they do, but it's the people who are really gaining from it who are the first movers on this stuff it's the sheriff israels who are really the ones who are trying to impose it on us so i I mean my philosophy is the best we can do is kick the can i'm an anarcho-capitalist but i want to preserve the bill of rights we're kicking the can and this would do that i think
Yeah, and if I mean, if anything shows that not everybody is reached by the propaganda, and they're not because most people aren't as deep into the news as you know That's everybody. True. It's just they can't reach everybody. Their desire is to reach everybody, and I'll show you later in the show one of their plans on trying to do that. But jury selection, they try to find people that are untainted by bias as much as possible, and they find them. There are people that are like that, and I have friends that don't ever pay attention to the news. You tell them something that's been going on in the news and the way people have been thinking about it, and they're just like, that don't make any sense, man. What you, <laughs> they'll mind. say something really insightful because they've been unaffected by the poison. I'm going to blow your mind. Right. Two uh, of the things that you said are about to dovetail on what I'm about to say, which is that you know how they pick they they call you for jury duty. You know why you get that letter? Why? Because you registered to vote. There you go. They actually select people who have bought into the system enough to register to vote, which eliminates yeah. half the people, right? Right. Yeah. And which half? That's the half that's most likely tainted by the. <laughs> yeah, I mean the vote. The people who are registering to vote are the people who are at least somewhat engaged, right? At least yeah. st still buying into the BS. Yeah, well, and not I'm one of those registered people. To vote. I'm registered. Yeah, but not everybody that's registered necessarily buys in. But yes, I see what you're saying. Yeah, um, I mean that's a criterion. It should really be the last criteria. It, it should not be that criterion. Right. I wouldn't want people that are registered to vote. I would rather, I'd rather have somebody who isn't. Yeah. Is that it? It should be the people who it should be your water right. bill. Because you're more likely you're more likely untainted by the news if you're not registered to vote. Yeah. So that. just make it your water bill and then you're not selecting. You're selecting for people who yeah. use running water, not yeah, yeah. for people who register to vote. Or maybe people who pump their own water. Maybe I'd rather have people who don't who live well. in the woods <laughs> come be my jury, you know? Yeah. Okay, so the midterms happened, and in Georgia, they're not over. People talked about a blue wave, a red wave. We've been saying for a long time it's not going to be either. It's going to be just enough for each to claim victory so that the tension can be heightened because, in my opinion, the midterms wasn't the end. The midterms was the beginning. And things are only going to get more chaotic as we progress over the next couple My of years. My husband's super excited that it's total gridlock. He's like, look, they can't do anything now. Right. Yeah. They're just going to, it's like a boxing match now that's just going to continue to go on it because they, they're going to say the balance of power has been restored is kind of the argument from the left. But they're not super excited about it because, you know, tyranny's still in power. So there's, that's what the, I've been getting emails. Since like 11 o'clock on the night of the election, campaign emails, asking for money for all of them. We still, we're still in this fight. We're still ready. And Indivisible sent out something saying we won this, but we haven't had complete victory. And now we're going to send out the next invisible guide. So I'm looking forward to the new invisible guide. It's the indivisible offensive guide as opposed to the defensive guide, which they referred to the last one as. So that's coming out next week. Uh, and I'll report to you my findings and on some of the. So the why are they on offense? I don't get it. They were on defense before, which is mean resist everything. Right. Never compromise. Now they're saying they're going on offense, which, in my opinion, is probably just going to be them doing the exact same type of protest activity, except it'll be we need to save the dreamers instead of by resisting this. We need to force this type of legislation through or something. You need to go scream at your legislator. You need to go stand outside his house and throw rocks to his windows until he agrees to push this legislation through. That's what I think. Right. Be. I okay. could be wrong, but that's, that's what I think. All right. So the Abrams campaign is fighting 
They're, they're saying they're still alive. They're hoping to have a, a runoff. It doesn't look like that's going to be able to happen, but what they're going to do is they're going to challenge it legally. And I think we talked about this beforehand. This has been the plan all along for her, and this is an example of losing well. You see, Abrams, prior to the election, she accused the Kemp camp of the Kemp camp. That's kind of Kemp camp of voter suppression, and that was setting it up to where if Abrams lost, there was going to be a challenge, regardless of what happened. I mean, if, if you if you scare people, if you say all these racist people are suppressing your vote, they're trying to prevent you from having your voice heard, and then you lose, and then you don't pursue legal action, then those people are going to be like, "What the hell." You told us that the racists were suppressing our vote, and now yeah. you're just going to let them have. So, I mean, yeah. she set it up to where she has to put forth a, a legal challenge, and that's what's going to happen. I've already been getting emails from her campaign saying that this is not over, that their voices are trying to be suppressed. It was so convenient for her that Tippins went in and kneecapped Cagle so that the Secretary of State, who was getting his butt whipped by Cagle, ended up being the guy because he was in control of the election. Yeah. 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 He he resigned today, by the way. As secretary of state. Yep. Well, he should have done that a year ago. Yeah, I know. You're right. Why not? I don't know. You're right. I don't know who would have been in charge if he wasn't. I I don't, I have no idea. It doesn't matter. Then they would say, okay, it was a Republican, but it wouldn't be that actual person. I mean, it really, it's like, how could a guy like that, who's known to be either corrupt or incompetent when it came to the 2016 election, a criminal complaint filed against him by voter GA, how could you, how could he resist but to swing it his way? And he did stuff like the exact matching, which is not necessary just to, it, it, it all, it's perfect for her. It really supports yeah, her narrative. It works for her. I would argue exact match it with what she was doing with she's because she's been doing this since 2014. She's been oh, registering. She created the problem in the first yeah, place. Yeah, she's been yeah, registering yeah. people agree, with sloppy agree, yeah. names, wrong names yeah. for a long time now. Yeah. So there is an argument for that. But it says in one of the emails she got, among other things, it says, I believe we can get there. There are enough uncounted votes out there to push us into a runoff election territory. And I know that in December we can win again. I don't know why she says again, but I need your help. We're employing a fully staffed team to ensure that this process is fair for all involved. Chip in $3 to support their work and help us make sure every vote is counted. That's probably the 10th email I've gotten. I got that one this afternoon. That's probably the 10th email I've gotten since election night from her or, for, or from someone speaking on her behalf. Kamala Harris sent out a, a campaign yeah, fundraising thing about her. I mean, it's unbelievable. The race is still going. She's still raising money. And what she's doing, in my opinion, is – I think this is the best thing that could happen. Like we talked about losing well. Saul Alinsky says, he says that if by losing you are going to gain more power and you're going to increase the size of your party, then you lose. That's losing well. So if winning is not going to get you as much as losing, then you lose. And I understand that there's also, you know, you could have two options. If you win, you're going to do this. If you lose, you're going to do that. And this could be the contingency. But here's what I think the best scenario for Abrams could be is – they continue to make this a legal battle. They challenge it in court, and here's what happens. All the other races are over, right? This is the only race just about that remains unfinished, and this is one of the most important ones. So by challenging it legally, 
they put this race into the spotlight, the national spotlight for however long that legal challenge goes on, maybe months it's in the spotlight. And the conversation surrounding this fight is about civil rights and racial tensions. It's about the the fight for equality in the state of Georgia is still ongoing. And this is in the national spotlight for months on end. And it could, in my opinion, end up going to the Supreme Court and they could try to make this some sort of landmark civil rights case and make Stacey Abrams the icon for it. And if she doesn't win here, she could very well try and run for president in 2020. Isn't I don't know what they're saying about Beto O'Rourke. They said that about Beto, but I think that Stacey Abrams is a far better choice for someone doing and, that. And no one's saying that. Like Will Farrell shows up. All these people show up for her. And, and it's really they're not talking about it right now. So I think. That there's, it's like when the tsunami came, the little kid was on the beach and the whole beach cleared out and there was no water at all. And everybody's looking and like, where's all the water? And he said, Oh, the little kid said, we just learned about this in school. A big wave is coming now. And then right. it was like, ah, so like now you don't yeah. see anything, you know, there's nothing. Why? Why is there nothing? But, but the winning well thing, I tell people this all the time. Are the Democrats better losing off well. losing well? Sorry, yeah. Are the Democrats better off with Trump or Hillary having won twenty sixteen? Oh, Trump, I, I would definitely. Say that, yeah. The progressives. It, see, there is a difference. No, I think the Democrats. There's a difference in the in the middle of the road Democrats, and then the progressives who. Oh are no, the I'm people. talking about the the politicians. Though, yes, what I'm talking yeah. About. yeah. Yes, you're right. Trump. I mean, Abrams even said that. that stuff is. I, I know. People say it and they're like, isn't that funny? It's like, no, <laughs> that's the plan. Yeah. I think this has been a plan of Abrams for a while. Either they win or if they don't win, they turn this into a national news story centered around race and oppression. And it goes on for months. Think about it. All the other races are done. The most important race, they've called this one the most important race and the most important election of our lifetime. I know they're being dramatic like they always are. But think about that. If Abrams triggers a legal battle that lasts to the end of the year, imagine if for the rest of the year, one of the main national news stories is the legal battle for the state of Georgia. The mainstream media will frame it favorably to Abrams. They'll frame it probably as a civil rights battle with Abrams representing the oppressed and Kemp representing the oppressors, the vote-suppressing oppressors. I mean, this is the best thing that can happen for Abrams. I mean, we know that she wants to run for president, ultimately. She said that's her goal. She slipped up and called her run for the Georgia governor race a run for the White House. We have played a clip of that. And regardless of how this turned out, she would be portrayed as a civil rights icon, and she would increase her political star power. I mean, let's say she loses. Let's say she does trigger, and I know I'm speculating here, but I'm thinking about this through the strategy of a community organizer who's trying to concentrate power. So let's say she loses. Come January, we would have someone in Abrams who is now viewed nationally as a civil rights icon whose name recognition and popularity are higher than ever before. She's a household name. And now she also doesn't have to worry about being governor of Georgia. What a perfect time to announce a candidacy for presidency in 2020. She's certainly not going to let all that power she's created go unused. She'd be a better option than Kamala Harris because she's a better politician than Kamala Harris. She's a lot more skilled. Knowing that her goal, her ultimate goal, is to become president by losing the Georgia governor race, losing well, like Solinsky explains, it would ultimately help her expedite the process 
of giving herself the opportunity to do what she really wants to do, which is run for president. And think about the campaign she could run if that happened. I mean, this would be perfect for her. She could run a campaign that was centered around civil rights and racism. I can hear the central thematic talking point that her campaign would use right now. It might be something like, racism may be able to suppress the voice of one state, but it will never, it will never suppress the voice of an entire nation. I can see that type of talking point being used. She could get exactly what she wants if they play this right by losing the Georgia governor race. I know I'm speculating, but I'm just thinking about this through the lens of how community organizers think. Yeah. So I'm going to play a few clips from her election night speech that she gave to kind of show that she is setting the frame of what the debate is going to be as she moves forward with these legal challenges against Kemp. And that debate is going to be centered around civil rights and racial division. Here's the first clip. This is from towards the beginning of her speech. In Georgia, civil rights has always been an act of will and a battle for our souls. And because we have been fighting this fight since our beginnings, we have learned a fundamental truth. Democracy only works when we work for it. When we demand it. Did you hear that? Yep. She frames the the fight at the very beginning of her speech as one of a civil rights battle. As we are fighting for our rights, our civil rights. She made this about civil rights and about race right there. And that's what this is going to continue to be. There, there's, there's no doubting what she's trying to make this about. Here's another one. I'll tell you this. In a civilized nation, the machinery of democracy should work for everyone everywhere, not just in certain places and not just on a certain day. Now that that's- one's a- Exactly what that Panamanian dude was saying. Uh, I can't remember their names um, to that lawyer chick when he said, this is not how it's done when it's done properly. But they're not actually right. outlining the the systemic failure. They just are losing elections. You know, I mean, but they're right. saying that it's it's suppression, voter suppression, all this kind of stuff. Uh, I'm not convinced. There's a couple things in that clip that stood out to me. One, she continues to race bait. She continues to say that this is about the others suppressing us. This is about civil rights. So this is setting up this legal battle. And this also, what she said there was very similar, I think, to something that she said in 1992 in the AJC. It was shortly after the Rodney King riots and a group that she had co-founded, the SAAE, had been pressuring the mayor into giving the student leaders from the AUC, which is a coalition of Atlanta's black colleges, some power in the government. And as one of those leaders, that means that she would have gotten some of that power. And the article is about how despite the mayor saying that he would establish this student committee, he had yet to do it. And Abrams was asked by the AJC if she thinks that the committee would ever get established. And what Abrams said is that she feels confident that it will because they don't want another May 1st incident to happen. And what she means by May 1st incident are the riots that happened after the Rodney King verdict that students from the AUC participated in. I told you that that sounded to me like a thinly veiled threat because Abrams was the leader of a 200-student army. So coming from someone who leads a 200-student army, where a bunch of the students, I'm not saying Abrams did, but a bunch of the students had participated in violent riots, that kind of statement sounds more like a threat. 
than anything else to me. And I think the same thing is going on here when she says, in a civilized nation, to me, that's a thinly veiled threat. That's interesting. And I, and I have to tell you, when I hear her talking like this, what aggravates me is how 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 cynical it is because she is not someone who's been fighting for her civil rights. She no. is somebody who has was selected as a teenager to be in the power elite and whose probably identity Yeah, probably. But her she is exploiting her uh identity I don't even want to call it her identity because at, at a certain level of elite, your identity is elite. There is no other identity. It's not national. It's not race. It's not ethnic. Exactly. It's not religious. The elite is an identity of unto itself. And she is one of, she is in that. Everything she says about our struggle of civil rights to me, uh, based on her history, it, it, it just, it is not, true it's, it's not, not true. it's not authentic at all i and, mean my struggle to get out of economic disadvantage has been painful and embarrassing and you know what i mean like i totally i i don't know what it's like to be any identity other than my own but i know what struggles are and she's probably had struggles but there are elite struggles like kids who went to exeter because she is one of those kids of course and i made a video about some of her past connections the day before the election because the group she started in college which nobody talked about she started it with the nephew of a guy named leonard jeffries and leonard jeffries at the time was as controversial and well-known of a figure as louis farrakhan because he was a he was labeled an anti-semite by the anti-defamation league a homophobe a holocaust denier he is still listed on the southern poverty law center's page today as a holocaust denier and she started a group with his nephew. Now, his nephew called his uncle his mentor, and his nephew espoused similar beliefs. So the reason I made the video is because I was trying to show that Stacey Abrams' campaign is acting like she she isn't anything – like she separates from all these groups and stuff that she started in college, and they were just kind of harmless. But they really weren't. They, they were very – she knew very well what she was doing. And she's just kind of rewriting history in order to portray herself in a different way. I got a whole bunch of comments from trolls saying, racist, racist, you're evil, racist. It's not racist to point out that someone has a history of working closely with people who are known for expressing anti-Semitic and homophobic views. That's not racist. And what I'm trying to tell people is that, especially people who blindly support her, is that she might very well be manipulating them and that they should ask questions about some of these associations. Yet because people have been conditioned to view any criticism of her as racist, nobody listens. I want to take this to another level because stuff that you were playing me or talking to me about off the air, whatever, about stuff her mom was saying and her sister and yeah. things they wrote about Afrocentrism. I really didn't know what Afrocentrism was. And when I was hearing how they were talking, and uh, it was it, it seemed the parallels to me were undeniable to when uh, when I hear what I absolutely think is and I, and I see it from the racial point of view, but the anti-Semitism on the Internet, it, it seems so uh, uh, orchestrated. It's so it's really promoted. It doesn't get. Yeah. 
It doesn't get censored the way other stuff does. It's really offensive. And some of the the websites are so popular. And I go to the websites, people refer to them, and I'm like, this is awful. And what it does is what they do is they take a, a race and it's in it's in the report from Iron Mountain, um, where they they say to identify a despised ethnicity and use it to turn the population um, against that ethnicity and still seek like higher power. And yeah. they do that. So so I always thought it was minorities and the drug war. That was the despised ethnicity. But then when I saw this anti-Semitism rising, that is and it seems so um so orchestrated. Then I said, okay, this is a, they are using this despised minority. And then when I heard uh, the mom or some of the people who are affiliated with the Afrocentrism stuff, talk about white people like that. I, it's not like I was like, Oh, you don't attack white people. It's that they're, I don't, I don't think that they are even, I think they're doing the same thing. I think they're the ones who are orchestrating this, uh, this idea of a despised in this case, majority, to keep people um, paranoid, hateful, uh, yeah, counterproductive, yeah. So, so when I hear those people at the top doing it, and they're associated with her, and I see her background from the Telluride thing and all the institutional stuff and the Soros and the the elite, it's clear to me that, or it looks to me like, what she's doing is exploiting ethnicity and race and all that for the division for her own personal gain and and those people she was associated with uh seemed to me to also be this kind of cynical because the people who are real like Malcolm X and Tupac and Martin Luther King and Kanye and even Bill Cosby as much as you hate him he's not in jail for anything he did to any women he's in jail because he did not doesn't accept doesn't promote the dialectic and who's out there jesse jackson al sharpton the people who really exploit the dialectic and also are venal you know they just want their own gain and so they're easier to manipulate it seems it, so i i always hate when we put things when we talk about this stuff in terms of race but i'm beginning to understand how truly cynical it is uh right. that the powers at the top use that to divide us something that we really can't you can't overcome it in any sense of like you know what i mean they just say by your very essence you must hate each other and right and well and, and that's that's what sick. we were trying to show with the the flag burning thing is that we weren't playing that because we wanted to make it about race we were yeah, playing that, that flag we were showing was bad I don't like that no, flag. Well, that's, yeah. I, the 1902 flag was fine. It was no, good. I completely, it I completely agree. But it happened not... that day, and she put that effort back 10 years on right. purpose. That's, that's what we were trying to say. We, we were trying to yeah. share that, that she harmed that effort. She on purpose. Identified yeah. as, as the group that um, sabotaged that effort, and yet they came out later and acted like she helped get the flag changed. So we were trying to show that it was about power, that it wasn't about but not even race. just her own gain. Did she do that? I believe that she, it's like when you ever see that clip of Alex Jones disrupting a second amendment rally in Austin, they were like, Alex, what are you doing? He's like, ah, you go home. It's the craziest video ever. He was in there, uh, hurting the cause yeah. by acting crazy. It's very common and it really turns people off and it puts the cause back. Why would, does she want the, the, the flag, um, 
to be better in Georgia, then where would her power come from? Right. So here's the thing about the whole flag thing. There was already a bipartisan coalition going on. Civil rights activists were behind it. Even John Lewis was behind it. And had Stacey just been a supporter of this cause that had already existed, she had very little to gain from that. And the governor and the people who started it would have been the ones who got all the, the glory. But it was. It. But I'm saying it's beyond that. I'm saying that it's uh, – I think it's likely that the that stopping it was intentional right. no, because that's, that's they what, want that's what to saying. slow down. Right. Yeah. Oh, so it's not that's, just that's that she wanted the glory but that she wanted it to stop. Right. That flag was a symbol of racial division, and had it gotten changed back then, that would have been one less social lever – or crisis available to be exploited that someone could use to gain political power. Yeah. Activists have to have crisis. That's right. solid. They got to have crisis. So they could support that and help it get passed. And yeah, it could change a flag, but then she would gain very little out of it. That's why they didn't accept it when they won. They won right. and they exactly. said no. They And that's more losing well. Yes. So they have to always resist so that they can create the crisis and they can come in and be the leadership who claims to try and uh, want to serve the interest of that crisis. The power that they gain only exists because the crisis exists. Right. Her entire speech that night is setting up this national narrative of race division and civil rights that is going to happen when people start talking about this race in the national news when she challenges it legally. Here's another one. This election has tested our faith. I'm not going to name names, but some have worked hard to take our voices away, to scare us away, to distract us. But our vision is clear and we see the finish line. She talks so different at her rallies than she does on TV. She's a good speaker. I mean, she she would be an excellent preacher. Georgia still has a decision to make. A decision between division and trickery. Or a leadership that defends your <laughs> rights, your kids, your career, your community, and your right to vote in America. Knowing what she means That's by that stuff. About. Did you hear that at the end there? That's what it's all about. No, no, no. Listen, oh. listen to the very end there. That defends your rights, your kids, your career, your community, and your right to vote in America. That's what's on the ballot. So she just told them that what's on the ballot is their right to vote in America. That's a race division provocation is what she's doing there. Your right to vote in America is on the ballot. So we have to fight this. Otherwise, your right to vote's been taken away. And I've heard that similar theme echoed from other places. I believe Bernie Sanders even echoed it today. Well, here's the problem is democracy is mob rule. That's why I don't like it. I like objective laws that apply evenly to everybody. So if what she's saying is because because we are going to vote a collective vote, collective vote, we're voting collective vote and we are a minority, democracy cannot work for us. So our votes don't really count. So what's the solution to that? I will show you here in a moment. Really? Well, they do have a solution, yeah, right, okay. on the left. Here's the last one. You said mob rule. I want to play this clip just to show you the zombie-like nature. I mean, this is like one of those protests. She is an activist. She has been from the day she was born. She's very good at it. This illustrates it right here. This is not about me. <laughs> it's about us. It's about our voices. Say our voices. Our voices. It's about our votes. Say our votes. It's about our time. Say our time. Our Our voices. Our Our votes. Our Our time. time. Because we are Georgia. Say it with me. We are Georgia. We are Georgia. She is good. Say it with me. Say we are Georgia. 
Wow. We are Georgia. We are Georgia. We are Georgia. So let's get it done. Thank you so much. Now, everybody, pull out your Kool-Aid. Put it up to your mouth. <laughs> Say, put it up to your mouth. Oh everybody take a sip. Yikes. Now, now, just to show you, what are you supposed to do when you're in a crowd like that? When I was at Jazz Fest, I was w- watching Stevie Wonder. And uh, you get to choose where you go. I chose Stevie Wonder. And I was standing there, and he said, can we all say unity? We stand together. And I'm standing there. I'm looking around. I'm like, oh, I probably don't agree with any of you people. <laughs> I looked around. I said, I'm not saying that. And the guys around me were like, yeah, I'm not saying it either. I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't agree with him, but I love his music and he seems like a nice person, but I'm not saying that. And uh, that's what you can do. You don't have to. And it reminds me of the very first book you ever bought me, Binkley, Crowds and Power. No, no, yeah. no. The Crowd Minds. Le- oh, I yeah. got you, yeah. Crowds and Power. Yeah. You got me, uh, Crowd Psychology. I guess it was pretty clear from the beginning that we <laughs> were on the same wavelength. Yeah. She's very good at that. And I mean, that's that's what the what demagogues, whatever. That's totally what a demagogue. Yeah. Totally a demagogue. I mean, but when like, you look back in history at the people who had that power, things did not often <laughs> turn out well. No, I mean, mob rule. It, you, you can't. It, and this is why I really, truly kind of doubt her story about how she just led a peaceful protest after the Rodney King things, not because not because I think she might have wanted to cause any violence or anything. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is when there was violence going on all around you and you have a large group of people, it is very, very hard to control that mob. Like you can rile that mob up and you can get them up and direct them. But once that force gets really powerful, you, you can't control what everybody in that mob does. And when there's violence going on around you, like right there, it's going to infect that group that you're in too. So unless you're just some sort of supernatural being that can, you know, somehow control psychology in ways that never, it's never been controlled before, then there's a high likelihood that a couple people in your group started throwing rocks too. Or if your group was there to be the candle bearers, to be the monks. Mm-hmm. If you were there to say, hey, we're going to walk through this trial of fire and we're not going to lose our cool. They're going to throw rocks at us and stuff, but we are going to show Gandhi style that we will take the rocks and we will not fight back. Like that's what you would have to do. Yeah, and it's tough. It's it's anybody who's ever been at a wedding or in, in a room where everybody starts singing along or dancing, even if you hate dancing and hate singing, <laughs> it, you feel – isolated and alone if you're not doing it. Yes. You, you might feel stupid if you start doing it, but if everybody else is doing it, you start to feel stupid for not doing it. Somebody and yelled at me at Chastain Park for not singing along with Jackson Brown. It's, it's like hard. Yeah, it, it, we have Mariner. What's wrong with you? <laughs> it, yeah, it's very difficult. I remember one time on New Year's Eve, we just wanted to see if we'd get everybody to, to sing, to sing along. And we were at MARTA, and it was packed waiting in MARTA. And my friend is a good singer. He actually tried out for for. American Idol one year and made it a couple rounds. So we got him to start it. And we started a group sing along. Everybody that was in the Marta station waiting, we had all of them singing Lean on Me nice. for like five minutes while we were waiting on it. All we had to do was just start singing, then another person does it, then suddenly everybody else is doing it. Crowd psychology is a very powerful thing. Yes. They're trying to affect us through it, and they are through social media. Like that's the, the mob. Yeah, the hurt. digital. Powerful. Oh, yeah. yeah. 
So this is going to be an ongoing battle, in my opinion. I mean, that's just that to me is just practiced manipulation. I mean, say it, say yeah. it. And then she yeah, yeah. and then you'll notice, like, as she did that and she knew how to do it, like she said it several times because she's really not always great, like on TV and stuff. I don't think she's super great. But clearly, this is yeah. her where. Her, yeah, when she's in her zone. Yeah. So, yes. And after she said, say it with me, say it with me. Then after a couple of rounds of that, she didn't have to say it, say it with me anymore. Then she said they it and it. they said it. Yeah. I mean, it's really, it, it, it's scary. And clearly, she's been doing that. That If you said she was out there speaking when she was nine, it's that. It was in church meetings and stuff. Yeah, she used to put on plays and do speaking things from the time she was a kid she's been i mean she's very skilled at this she's well, been and she said life. she was majored in acting and physics and i wonder if she was going to be the neil degrasse tyson person like she that telluride thing they i know other foundations and internships and stuff like that they do that they find the person they don't they don't necessarily pick your path for you up front but they find the person who has the identity or the qualities that they want she don't remember she said she majored in acting and physics. That's what she said she majored in in college. Yeah, she majored in a bunch of different things. Yeah, you can't um, really major in a bunch. I mean, I know she says that, but but I'm yeah, saying she, she does acting. around a lot. She ended up getting like an independent degree because she had studied so many different things. But the thing about – oh, interesting. The thing about the, the style being the preacher style, if the people in her audience – Maybe this is why they try to appeal to people who have some religion, because if they are used to church meetings and because that is a very churchy way of doing things, say it with me, say it with me. And they say it because it's good. It's church. So if you're used to that, that rhythm, then then and she brings it brings you into a, into the secular realm with that same rhythm that you're used to, it makes it easier for you to respond to her instructions. Uh, but that was very interesting to me. Very telling. Do you know what message her mom delivered? Speaking of the church and Leonard Jeffries delivers all the time. And he's has been for decades. Leonard Jeffries, who's now under a different name. No, that or that's the uncle. His, his nephew is under a different name. Okay, yeah, Leonard go. Jeffries is the Keep one going. who, no, I don't know what message the, the message that is pre cause it's Afrocentric and her mom, preaches a similar philosophy in her church, at least the sermon that I watched. And what is preached is that even God does not like the evil white oppressors. (laughs) And unless you actively oppose them and fight back against them, then you are forsaking God's will. So what's the end game with that? See, that's why I don't think these people are real. Like, I don't think they're genuine, that they really, they went through all that schooling. They've been successful. They know John Lewis. They, they, their daughters are in the highest echelons of power. And, and this is their approach. I don't believe it. It's, it is absolutely in my mind, a tactic of manipulation, division, power base, all it's that a, stuff. Yeah, I really feel like why Obama buddied up with Reverend Wright. Because right. it's just it's, social, yeah. 
It's a way to get power and credibility and make it look like you are not after power. Because think of the crisis we're in democratically. Every single person up there now has to be an outsider. And and every piece of information has to be a leak because nobody has any faith anymore. So so you've got somebody like Obama who even in that realm had to get some street cred as an outsider. So he goes to Reverend Wright. Donald Trump has to be an outsider. He says he didn't pay a penny on campaign finance. You mean it's just the silliest things, but that's how they have to do it. And I, and I feel like this divisiveness, this acting like we are getting the grassroots together to overthrow the leaders, the overlords, whatever, it's a losing battle and they know it, but it, it'll piss you off. And, and I think they do that in the Middle East too. I think that this radicalization is not a winning strategy, but they do it to keep those people outside the law. It gets you arrested. You know, that's what happened to Morsi and those guys. They just, oh, you, when those countries get overtaken, the, the prisons open and just the floodgates of the political radicals flow out. I mean, this is to me, uh, oh, it goes right to that memetics uh, slideshow where they said, that they would enhance dysfunctional subcultures, that yeah. they do that to yeah. to to neutralize people politically. It's sick. Yeah, it's an, it's an avenue of power. They pursue in Bolshevism dual power, dual power strategy. And I'm sure it's, it's not just them that pursues the strategy. It's every power seeking group that does. But you try to place some people in office. And so you go through those legal constitutional mechanisms of trying to gain power, but you are always, you are always seeking power in the parts of society outside the constitution, the social power. And so you're building a social army that you can use that isn't constrained by constitutional limits. So you find these, these groups of have nots or you create groups of have nots that don't have a, a power leader or a power center. And you create a power center that puts you in charge of them. That's why a race division, that's why all these, these issues that cause so much, cause people to get so emotional. That's why we hear so much about them because people are seeking power over these sects of society that have this felt oppression that they could draw out and this anger that they can draw whereas, out. Whereas everyone from Malcolm X to Tupac to Bill Cosby and Kanye don't take that approach at all to address legitimate concerns and history and oppression and prejudices and all that stuff. They do not take that approach of, of corralling people, of commanding, of exacerbating the problem of, of uh, they want people to think for themselves Yeah, yeah, and, and come together and stop defeating themselves. And that's the, that's us to challenge with voting or selecting someone for office is the person who truly has your best interest in mind truly wants his job to become obsolete or her job to become obsolete. Because or to just the, be administrative. Yeah. All, if all the problems in society were solved, we wouldn't need politicians. They wouldn't have a platform to run on because the platform oh, is yeah. always what's the pain that you feel? It's their yeah. fault. I'm going to fix it. There's an absolute conflict of interest between the people and the and the leaders. That's why this idea of self-limiting government is hard to take seriously. On that note, I listened to a podcast the other day called Best of the Left, which I've 
I found very interesting. <laughs> Actually, I have a couple other ones I want to get into that they released. And they were talking about strategies for the left to gain power. And it was a very interesting one, which confirmed everything I've ever believed about voting. You know, my, my philosophy on voting is this, especially in times like the past couple of weeks or so where it's vote, 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 vote or die, vote or die, unless you're voting for the other side. And die. You're Democrat yeah. or you're evil. Of course we mean vote Democrat. Right. So everybody everywhere is just yelling at you to vote all the time. And if you don't vote, they're like, what are you? That's your civil right. You're a devil. You know, it's just <laughs> it's the worst person in the world. You're not allowed to speak if you don't vote. Bullshit. Voting <laughs> just for the sake of voting is not your civic duty and they're telling you just vote straight down the line vote d vote r that's your civic duty they're telling you that it's your civic duty to in some cases vote for people of whom you've never heard of because voting down the line means voting for people that you've never ever heard of the incarcerated you have no idea exactly you have no idea who these people are, and they're saying it's your civic duty to blindly mark your ex. Right. That's what they used to do to illiterate people, to slaves, when they would get them to sign up to fight in wars and stuff. Sign your ex here. They have no idea what it is they're signing. They're just trusting the person who can read to tell them what it is. That's what we're doing when we mark our ex on a bunch of ballots so we don't have any idea who the person is. It's not your civic duty to vote. It's your civic duty to be as informed as possible in my opinion, and to see through the rhetoric on both sides and after thinking it through to make your decision to vote or to make your decision not to vote if you feel you're not informed enough on that specific race. Or if after thinking it through, you decide that you don't want to vote for either one of those people. That, in my opinion, is what a true civic duty is, not blindly marking your ex because our masters told us to. Actually, having discourse is much more powerful than voting. Just uh, changing the mood would right. change the outcome. And what, forget it, what you, what you did to educate yourself about the candidates in the Georgia governor's race and communicate that with other people did more than a, a, a thousand votes, a hundred, a hundred thousand votes. I mean, you might have changed the actual outcome by getting people off the couch who didn't think it was that important. Yeah, and you brought – you interviewed the libertarian candidate. You gave people an alternative voice to hear for them to think about, and that's what – that's the kind of stuff. And I know it's hard because we all have a limited amount of time and stuff, but in my opinion, the way I think about it is when I vote, I'm going to vote for races that um, I feel that I'm informed on, and the other ones I'm going to – I'm not going to put anything in on those ballots. Those are going to be ones that I don't – I don't vote for, and I'm never going to get pissed off at somebody for not voting. My opinion is this. I don't care who you choose. It's a lot more important to me how you came to the decision, and that includes if you decide not to vote or if you decide to vote. If you do it after a well-thought-out, well-reasoned process, then great. You did your civic duty, and don't let anybody else shame you into thinking otherwise. You know what would be really – interesting is if elections if if an election were not valid like you couldn't have a winner if that person didn't get 51 percent of eligible voters so if there were 10 million eligible voters in georgia and only 5 million showed up to the polls that election would be invalidated that you would not have a person in that role and then Maybe people would come out and really only be able to educate themselves on the governor. And then the other positions might just fall away or be delegitimized. And then you would have a crisis that would change this. I'm not like making a well thought out 
No, you're thinking about it. I, I don't but know I'm the answer to it. Like, I don't know that, the answer. I know that what we're doing right now is it's gotten to the point where it's it's voting for the sake of voting for a lot of people, and that's the way it's being presented to us. We're just being told to mark our X. I literally heard someone yeah. say, "You make sure your X is marked down." I heard someone say yeah. that on like CNN, and I'm like, that's so insulting. It's to, just to get people to buy in to engage, to, like we talked about. Yeah, the the idea, and you'll hear this in these clips, is to engage. This is why they talk about the rural areas a lot. Stacey Abrams was big on the rural areas, and and everybody is because you want to reach the people with the propaganda that have not been reached because that's how you can control them. It's just like if somebody's they don't want people living off the grid because you can't control somebody who lives off the grid. So this is from the Best of the Left podcast. This is um they're talking about a book written by Georgian. Thomas Georgian, he's a activist and an author and a lawyer. And what they're talking about is a strategy of how the left can regain power in America. Here's what they have to say. Instead of trying to bridge the divide in our country, the Democrats should now widen it. And you suggest that the primary uh, mechanism to do so uh, would be to make it uh, compulsory to vote in states like California and New York in particular, but all of the, uh, you know, the so-called, I guess, blue states, the states that, that, um, uh, the one for Clinton at least. And, 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 and it's, I mean, most conceivable, obviously, in states where Democrats control, uh, the, the, the state houses. And certainly in California and New York can do that. Just between New York and California, if there was compulsory voting, you would see a uh, rather than a three point uh, three million uh, vote gap, probably I don't know, double that. All right, now I'm gonna play. That was just the kind of overall summary. I'm gonna play you. This is a pretty long clip, but there's just so much in there that it's worth getting through. This is the actual author speaking about the compulsory voting and why it's necessary. If California alone had some compulsory voting. Let's assume that the same percentage uh, by which uh, one was in a relatively low turnout, California, uh, were extended if everybody voted. Uh, She would have won by uh, close to six million votes just from that one state. Uh, She would have beaten Trump by – it would have added about, uh, I think, the exact number. Let me check the article. It's 3.2 million to our national margin over Trump from one state. If you – Add in New York, if you add in the other, especially in the large population Clinton states, um, that uh, would have become a disparity that is too big to ignore. Blow up the disparity, that's point one. Point two is that that even having one or two or three states go to compulsory voting would set off a kind of chain reaction. First of all, we'd be a house divided. We'd have these Clinton states, which have these huge voter turnouts, including in midterms, which I think is absolutely crucial, absolutely crucial, since the midterm is really the device by which the Republicans control the country. Uh, You would have these huge disparities in the Clinton states or the blue states or some of the blue states and the red states, which are going in the opposite direction. They're putting in laws that try to restrict people from voting. So it creates a dynamic where you have a whopping popular imbalances between the blues and the reds. And you have truly started to create a constitutionally house divided in Lincoln's sense. 
And one or other of those republics, many republics, republics within our broader republic, is going to prevail. It's not going to be that the country splits apart in the secession. One form will take out the other. And, and unless you make it a moral obligation as well as a political and legal obligation for people to participate in the republic, our side, the democratic side, my party, is not going to be able to resist all the forces that are making the country more unequal, more unfair, more in despair. You have to to correct all these minority rule mechanisms. That's it. Yeah, they just want to all he's talking about is crushing states' rights completely. Exactly. He's, all he is talking about is to make sure the people in South Dakota bend to the will of the people in L.A. and New York. And Why? he's <laughs> proposing this not because he cares about people being informed and voting. He didn't mention that at all. The sole reason he's proposing this is to widen the gap so that they can try and show that the Constitution doesn't work and try to get people outraged so that they can essentially break the Constitution and eliminate the other side. Yeah, and so that it goes to the popular vote because actually if those places make mandatory voting, it makes absolutely no difference, which is what the Electoral College is about. It's about not letting those states totally dominate you. And yeah. Uh, yeah. Each state has a voice. And it's, why it's would it be – it, it's obvious that he's just a tyrant who wants to to – suborn the will of people who he doesn't agree with. I mean, this is the thing. They don't believe in democracy, which is fine. I believe in objective law. But they are they just look at the two sides and say it is time for this country to become Sweden, not America. Period. It is time, I think he said something like this. It is time for us to stop with these two systems and one needs to win. And it's our side needs to win. But it doesn't with the 50 states. You really don't need that. That's why we have conflict. You know, it just annoys me because this country was for the people who escaped Europe. I mean, I don't know. I don't care. It's just if you want to go back into history, it's not it's I think that was a little bit of a fraud. They took over a country that people already lived in. But uh, but if you want to. Talk about having, unless he means to give it back to the people who lived here before, he doesn't. He just means to make it European-style socialism, and nobody has any choice. There's no place to run. Where are we going to go? Can you imagine if there was compulsory voting? I mean, that would really... Well, then it's like Peru, where you go. I don't know if it's compulsory there, but there are places where it's compulsory, where the ballot is a box with a pencil next to it. And the pencil is like the symbol for the Democrats or whatever. And <laughs> people who are illiterate go in and they see the pencil. They have a pencil in their hand. It looks just like the pencil on the thing. There's a box. And then they just put the mark next to the pencil. My and husband and I were joking. Vote for the pencil. If you don't vote for the pencil or vote for whatever. You can I, vote you for the pencil fine. or you, you vote jail, for the maybe. tree. You can vote for the pencil. You can vote for the tree. But whoever so thought can, of the pencil. Right. Whoever has a better picture. <laughs> Correct. People it's like absurd. Trees. That's not democracy. Compulsory voting. I don't. I don't care what you say. If you're cho- right. if you if you if you think think it through and you decide right. not to vote because you don't like the choice the choices that right. someone else chose for you, that that's and they force you to. Otherwise, you're in trouble. 
Are you fine? You You see that it's the opiate. It's the opiate of the masses because it's really not about trusting you to make the choice. It's about requiring that you buy in. Yep. Yeah. That's exactly say what it. it is. Say it. Say yeah, it with me. Yes. <laughs> I voted. I voted. I voted. I voted. I voted. I tell your Democrat. friends. Get a, get a bunch of celebrities to tell you that if you don't vote, you ain't shit. You can't have, you can't say I, anything. I, I don't know who it was, but I was just, you know, flipping through the channels and I heard someone, it was like fake comedy, you know, where they get up and they just say obnoxious, you know, things that are just to the guys up there saying, and then this kid said, I didn't vote. And I said, you are just a low life piece of shit. And then everybody laughs. And I was like, that's not funny. <laughs> Such a cleverly written joke. There. Right. Like the one about Trump. What was that? There was that, that clip that we got from, I don't, I played a clip or you, whatever, played you a clip where the guy was just, oh, listen to the great comedy of, I hate Trump. Yeah, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. I know you're talking <laughs> and the about. The guy's like, look at that guy. Look at his yeah. hair. Yeah. Ah! That was funny. <laughs> He's orange. <laughs> Cheeto. <laughs> He's an orangutan. He's got a small penis. Am I right? Is this? He's got it's a tiny like, peener. You know? Funny mushroom top. <laughs> and they all say the same thing too. Like same I thing. Yeah. <laughs> so there was a uh, ballot measure, I think, in California for rent control, which I showed up at. Economics 101, EC10 at Harvard, where my father didn't want me to go there because he thought I'd be indoctrinated by socialism. And I showed up, and the first day, the first example was how rent control does not work. Rent control immediately, uh, housing, nobody builds any more housing, and the housing that is already built deteriorates because. If you can't raise the rent to keep up with inflation, you can't maintain it. So if you're charging $1,000, 10 years from then, you're still getting $1,000. You have not made any repairs in 10 years. And that's what happens. So you have to move further and further out. It's always a disaster. It goes away. So in California, I figured in this tone of the country, that could pass, even though it makes no sense. But it did not pass. And I thought... I guess people, they're still, even in this era of vote vote for the pencil, enough people showed up and voted against that. I'm sure it was in their self-interest, but there are enough people who, who, who real economics is in their self-interest that they're going to vote against the pencil. Yeah. And, and because of that, I thought, wow, there's, there is still some life in democracy, you know? Isn't still- a pencil in a tree essentially the same thing? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's actually well, a book called I Pencil, a classic libertarian pamphlet about how it starts as a tree. Interesting. I Pencil, highly recommend. Highly recommend. Yeah, to check that out. I bet a lot of people who are listening right now have it on their bookshelf. Well, I have one more quick thing, unless you have something else nope. to say about that. Oh, I did want to say I did want to make a thank you at the end. So let me know. Okay. Well, okay. Well, I want to leave you with this. On election night, I was watching the results come in with a bunch of friends, and I told one of my friends, I said, "Tomorrow, everything will be about Russia again. It will bring the whole Russian conspiracy back into the mainstream, 
And then about five minutes later, they all started talking about Russia again. So it happened a little bit quicker than I anticipated. But the reason I bring that up is because I was listening to somebody recently in the media, I can't remember who it was, it may have been a podcast, say that they believed that the constant shifting of issues is why the Democrats fail. He believes that their messaging lacks focus and that this undermines whatever it is they're trying to do. I thought that was interesting. However, I believe that it is wrong. I believe that the constant shifting of issues is very intentional and that the reason that they switch issues all the time is to maintain that sense of urgency because oh, yeah. people get bored with the one issue. Like I'm, I'm, I've about had it with talking about Stacey Abrams. Saul Linsky talks about that. They switch issues on purpose. That's an instruction. Now, I want to read this quote real quick because this illustrates like today, and this was planned. Michael Moore set this up. He was telling everybody on Twitter and in interviews he was doing that because Trump fired sessions that everybody needs to go out today. And this was today he's talking about and protest. It's called the protect Mueller protest, like hashtag protect Mueller all over the country. <laughs> people went out Mueller, to such a they, piece of crap. they went on to, they went on protect Mueller protest. And that happened today. And I just want to read this. There's, this is from Saul Alinsky rules for radicals. There is a way to keep the action going and to prevent it from being a drag. But this means constantly cutting new issues as the action continues so that by the time the enthusiasm and the emotions for one issue have started to de-escalate, a new issue has come into the scene with a consequent revival. With a constant introduction of new issues, it will go on and on and on. This is the case with many prolonged fights. In the end, the negotiations don't even involve the issues around which the conflict originally began. <laughs> <laughs> that's why there's this like Rolodex of issues that they always hit, the ones that are most emotionally agitating. And that's why when one starts to die down, bam, the other one comes right back into the scene. Yep. And that's it. I just thought that that was an interesting way to, to think about the news. I'm just I'm sucking the life force out of me. You're sucking the life force out of you? No, that, this whole feeling of just the... Uh, the manipulativeness of the whole thing. It's just the, the emptiness of it. The, uh, it just, it's sucking the life force out of me. The say it with me, say it with me, collect a vote, collect a vote, you know, all that stuff. It's just, it's just, uh, it's, a, it's a psychological tyranny, man. It is, but you know, <laughs> I can't take can it anymore. It's yeah, but it's a challenge, you know, it's people can be reached. And I know because I've talked to people and you have as well. I've, I've heard you do it uh, plenty of occasions get somebody who was kind of had bought into something like that, get them to have a discussion with you have a, and start th to think about things differently. And people can absolutely be reached. I believe in the individual personally. I think everybody really is capable of a lot more than, than they believe themselves. And I think helping people realize that these forces like the you must vote for who I tell you to, I all, the, all the propaganda be Or you're bad. Right. I believe that those are the types of messages that actually prevent people from accomplishing all these things that they and becoming what they, they want to become. And I know that people are reachable. We're all reachable. All of us are. We're all blind in some areas and we're all reachable. And uh, I don't think it's depressing. I just think it's a challenge. Hmm. Well, I have to say, since I've been off a WSB and um moving into a different house. So I, we haven't been doing a lot of podcasts. I have to say, like, I ha I feel like I got the, the fabled news vacation, this news break that's really cleansed my mind. But I want to say this. 
I know we got a new Patreon. We continue to get uh, people who contribute and other Patreons. And that is what makes me not just check out entirely. Like I'm su- I, I, I'm happy to take a break from WSB and stuff, but I always want to do the podcasts, uh, especially for the people who count on it and contribute. And uh, I just really appreciate it. Really keeps us going. Uh, you know, morale wise. Yeah, it really does. As well as expense wise. Yeah. I mean, all the support that we get in various ways means everything. Like it really means everything. The conversations that we have on Twitter are awesome. They're insightful. They're informative. It's great. And the people who donate to us, who are patrons, who donate through PayPal, she's right. It's such a, you know, we, we don't, we're not exactly operating on Alex Jones type money here, you know. (laughs) We're, we're, we're not, we're not quite, uh, we're, um, you know, scraping by. And so when we get something, it really is a boost, just, just, uh, morale wise, or even the, the, the nice things that people say to us, or when, when people defend us, when people attack us on Twitter, (laughs) stuff like that. It's all, it's very, um, it's very, very helpful and very motivational. Yes. And appreciated. Thank you. Very much appreciated. Thank you. And but once I am in my new house, well, new to me house, uh, and back on WSB, I feel like our schedule will get regular again. Don't you think? Yes. So when. Uh, oh, George- and you have back episodes of WSB, which I think you should upload to our yeah. Libsyn feed as a gift to the new Patreon. Yes. That you a can good deliver a dozen WSB shows, the Some kind of lost show, episodes yeah. of 2018. As a gift to the new Patreon. And we do try to include evergreen material in every episode, a little bit of it. Well, like the older episodes are, are actually very interesting now because basically everything we've been saying this year has been unfolding. Yeah. You start to see the patterns and it's it's kind of fun. To, Absolutely. That yeah. True. Well, that's so, all I have for today. Super fun. Going to go uh, wish my mom a happy 90th. Okay. It's going to be fun, man. I'm sure. She's a riot. Anywho. Thank you for listening. If you do want to help out the show, you can become a Patreon or you can donate through PayPal. You can go to iTunes. You can leave us a five-star rating. Leave us a great comment. It helps us show up high in the rankings. You can follow us on Twitter. You can subscribe to my YouTube page. I'll put all the links in the description. Oh, and you can tell your friends about the show. You can share it on social media. You can send it an email. You can tell them in a one-on-one conversation. You can just help us grow. Thank you again, and we will talk to you next time. Later.